about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with us, the Father, and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Friends, hello again. I'm just going to move this sand. I'm sorry, Laura. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, We are beginning a new series this evening, looking at the book of 1 John. And we're actually going to follow 1 John well into the new year. Uh, It's a letter in the New Testament, and the two letters that follow that are short and sweet, 2 John and 3 John as well. Now, these are really interesting letters to have a look at around Christmas, uh, because John is writing to a group of people who are feeling very confused about their faith, very disoriented about their faith, because of some false teachers who are teaching alternative ideas about Jesus that he is the divine son, but did not come in the flesh. And they've come out from these churches with this alternative teaching and confused everyone. Now, what's really interesting is that John doesn't write a letter just to refute their heresies. He writes a letter to care for some really confused people, to help to recenter them and reorient them to the heart of their faith, to who Jesus really is. And so he really brings about and explains to us the heart of Christmas. I think these first four verses in 1 John are actually a beautiful picture of what Christmas means, its profound mystery and truth. And so we're going to unpack them today. Now, I think at Christmas time, we always arrive at it this time of year really in need of some sort of comfort, regardless of how our year has been. I was speaking to my aunt and uncle in Seattle last week, and they have been in self-isolation since February, right? Uh, They've seen uh, huge protests in their city and just sat through a very polarizing election. They've had a a crazy year in the Pacific Northwest. And they told me last week that the the thing they've noticed on their one daily outing uh, is that all the Christmas lights are already up. And that's a big thing in Seattle. In Seattle, you hire someone to put up your Christmas lights because they are so big and the trees are so tall and you want to get it absolutely perfect. It's like people have arrived at the end of 2020 needing Christmas and its comfort to come a little early. And I think all of us arrive at this season, regardless of the year, wanting that. And the biggest, the clearest way I see this is in all the, the pathetic Christmas movies that come out this time of year. Hallmark, as it turns out, the card company are in the business of making around 30 Christmas movies every year. If you can't guess the theme of the movies from this slide, I can't fix what's wrong with you. Um, uh, But they're all the same story with slight variations uh, of uh, a white man and a white woman and uh, colored jumpers. 
Now, I was just researching this week about why people actually watch these movies. Um, and it's really interesting, actually, the psychology of these movies, of arriving to watch the same familiar stories uh, every night for a whole month. One person said, you know, a whole Hallmark holiday movie became for me a warm, cozy blanket for my brain to get comfy and sleep under. Just so interesting to me, that, that need for comfort at the end of a year. Or perhaps this person, I just love how sappy Hallmark movies are. Everything is always all right at the end, which is just the opposite of real life. I, you see, I'm just not sure that Hallmark movies will help us in 2020 uh, recover from the year we've had. I think we need much more than that. I think it's much better to get under the doona of the Christmas truth in 1 John 1, 1 to 4. And our hearts at this time of year are longing for some truths to settle us, to reorient us, to restore us. And so three truths about Christmas that we really need to find comfort in as we head into this season from 1 John 1, 1 to 4. And the first one is this. At this time of year, after the year we've had, we, we need something life-giving. And, and as you look at these verses from 1 John 1, 1 to 4, they're very circular. It's almost like they're a poem. It's more of a poem than a statement, than a greeting at the beginning of a letter. He opens with the profound mystery of what happened when Christ came into the world. But he kind of drip feeds it as well, if you have a look. He, he, he has all this interesting language that we'll get to in a moment about what he saw and heard. But he drip feeds us these truths about Jesus that all center on him being life. So he says, that which was from the beginning, which is a way of saying he existed before anything did, that he is a life that has existed for all time past. In fact, he is the word of life. He is the communication of life. Perhaps a better translation is, he is the word that produces life. From him, the eternal life, all life comes, and we learn that this life, the life, appeared. That's Christmas. The life from before all things, that gives life to all things, appears in the world. The eternal touches the temporal. The eternal life, which was with the Father, has appeared to us. This is the Christmas truth, that the life-giving thing we long for the eternal life, the life, not part of the life, sometimes life, uh, you know, the life, the source of all life, the, the only source of eternal life, appeared. And he was a son of a father. You see, life isn't something you possess or don't possess. It doesn't come from a philosophy or a mindset. It doesn't come from a piece of technology. It doesn't come from a secret knowledge or a secret way of life. Life is a person who was with the Father and came to find us. And to have Him is to have eternal life. To be with Him is to have eternal life. And the good news at Christmas is that He came and appeared to us in the baby in the manger. Now, I think that this truth is something that we have got a bit too used to, actually, in the Western world, in the Christian West. We have preached this so frequently that we've become a little bit numb to it. In fact, we've 
forgotten its specialness. Soren Kierkegaard said this. He said, you know, Christendom, Western Christianity, Christian civilization, basic problem is really Christianity. That the teaching about the God-man is profaned by being preached day in and day out. The qualitative difference between God and man is abolished, which is a way of saying we're so used to God coming at Christmas that we assume that he's just with us all the time. Actually, there is no distance between us and God, that he is always with us and in us. That's not true. The unique claim of Christmas is that the life appeared uniquely and finally in the person of Jesus Christ. And that you cannot come to God, you cannot receive the life from God apart from Him. And so I think what we need as we end this year is to come back to the heart of this reality that to find life in a deathly year, we need Him. We need His life-giving presence. I was reflecting yesterday, uh, I'm starting to feel this week that the year is catching up to me. I'm just noticing my lethargy, I'm noticing that my body's not responding the way it normally would to the tasks that I have in front of me and that I'm not as sharp anymore. I'm just feeling it. I see here last night, oh, what do I need? Maybe I need some more sappy Christmas movies. Maybe I should start eating mince tarts, which is my Achilles heel this time of year. Maybe I should take longer runs. Probably true. Maybe I should read some, some lower-level books. That's probably true. But I was thinking, you know what? I don't really need any of those things. What I really need is the, the life. I need the life-giving presence of the one who appeared in the manger. I need him. He's who you need to recover from a difficult year. He's the one you need in a really happy year. We need something life-giving, and it's him. The only place where the life has touched the earth uniquely and finally. But we need more than that. And John's really clear about this too, that we need something certain, don't we? It's been a very uncertain year. We don't even know what's going to happen next year. How long will we keep rolling in the way we're rolling now? Will it get better? Will it get worse? Will work get easier? Will it get harder? What will life become? What will be the new normal? That terrible phrase. Uh, The new normal, what will be? And you know, what can you be certain of anymore? Do we even agree on basic facts? What is truth? The one thing that John is spectacularly clear on in these verses is that the life that appeared, he actually saw and touched and heard. He is an eyewitness that the life appeared. See all this language which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched. We've seen it. We testify to it. We proclaim it. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. John was the last living of the 12 apostles. He's the only one who doesn't get martyred. He is the final apostle testifying to the fact that Jesus was real. He was touched. We have evidence of John lying back and talking and touching Jesus at the Last Supper. John says it was real. I was there. I touched him. I heard him. I saw him. The word looked at is to not just glance at, but to examine, to observe, to to carefully consider. John was with the life. He saw it. He touched it. He tasted it. And he's here to testify to it. Here is the unique reality of Christmas, that it is a piece of history. 
that it happened in a time, that it happened with a people, that it happened in real, a real place that it can be testified to. Christianity is unique in that its fundamental claims were seen, were witnessed, and so were proclaimed. Now, you might be thinking in church today or online today, well, that, how does that mean that they're certain? How does that make the, the Christmas truth something I can lean on substantially? Well, this is a, a fantastic thing because it means that if there were eyewitnesses, then they could have been refuted long ago. And we actually have evidence in the second century of Christian believers going through this process of testing the eyewitness testimony. Really interesting. Papias uh, is one of these examples where in the, in the beginning of the second century, as the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, are, are, being writ- are being distributed, having been written, and the stories are getting out, people start wondering how true they are. And they start testing. And Papias was one of these people. He talked to you through his method. This is from Eusebius, who quotes this. I, Nor did I take pleasure in those who reported their memory of someone else's commandments, but only in those who reported their memory of the commandments given by the Lord to the faith and proceeding from the truth itself. And if by chance anyone who had been in attendance on the elders arrived, I made inquiries about the words of the elders, what Andrew or Peter had said, or Philip or Thomas or James or John or Matthew or any of the other Lord's disciples, and John the elder who wrote this book. The Lord's disciples were saying, For I did not think that information from the books would profit me as much as information from a living and surviving voice. Which means to say, he picks up the Gospels and says, is this true? And he finds people in town like, you were there. What did he actually say? And he, and he hears them say, he's like, it's true. And so he sits in Heropolis and he, he tests the words against the eyewitnesses and they're proved true. And this is what happens in the first and the second century. These eyewitness accounts are confirmed by everyone who saw them. And so we have in history this verified account that the life appeared. And it's for this reason that it is something substantial that we can lean upon. That actually, for John, it is something that needs to be proclaimed. If the life has touched the earth at a time and a space, then the whole world has to know. But isn't it remarkable as well to think that the life would come and have fingers like yours and nails like yours and a voice like mine. And you could touch him. This is our God. This isn't made up. This is real. He came. He appeared. He came for you. There is nothing more sure in your life than that. And he came, and we see this at the end of this chapter, as God's gracious invitation into a joyful fellowship. You see this at the the end of this section. He says, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we write this, to make our joy complete. See, the reason why John opens with this poem about the life who appeared and was seen and known is he knows that when it's proclaimed and accepted, this fellowship starts between people. This new family begins. 
that people who all lay hold of this life together become a special family in fellowship. It's not just a fellowship they have with each other, but it's a fellowship between us and God, us and God, the Son, the life himself, and God, the Father. That actually through Jesus' incarnation, we are invited back into fellowship with God himself. John says he writes about this to make his joy complete. He wants to invite other people into fellowship with himself and into fellowship with God, the Father and the Son, made possible by the miracle of God come among us. You see, I think this is the truth that we have an inkling about at Christmas, an inkling about, but we've forgotten. This is the truth behind great Christmas gatherings in Australia around grilled prawns, right? What happens around Christmas, we gather together with family, some of whom we really don't like. And the same happens at work. We gather together with colleagues and we have a fun time, even though they've been really annoying all year. And there's this profound act of grace, isn't it? Isn't there profound grace in that? That we will join in fellowship despite the way we are to each other. It's laying down of arms to be family, to be colleagues. There's this hint of what, what, what John's getting at, that Christmas is an invitation back into fellowship with each other as a church and back into fellowship with God. I saw this in the Christmas movie research. I did research. Um, <laughs> this, great, this great couple watched all 33 Hallmark movies in 2017 and then podcasted about it. Um, <laughs> and they did it because they had a really rough year. Uh, the wife had had a really, really severe depressive episode and it had been awful. And he has really interesting and scathing things to say about these movies, but he ends by saying these ridiculous movies are genuinely bringing us tidings of comfort. And well, joy might be too strong a word, but something like it. I wouldn't necessarily call it a Christmas miracle, but it's been a gift all the same. Isn't it interesting, this, this longing for joy? Or this other one I found. I used to like watching Lifetime movies, that's Hallmark Channel, but they started to get a little too ridiculous and dramatic, so I had to walk away I started watching movies at night when I couldn't sleep and they just made me feel what at home, no matter how depressed or sad I was. See, the reason why people watch Christmas movies is they want to feel joyful and they want to come home to the sappy, familiar picture in these stories. And it's an inkling, it's an instinct, it's a sense of what Christmas really is the joyful invitation home. God the Father sends God the Son into the world to appear the life himself that we might come back into fellowship with him and with each other. And that we might, like John, have our joy complete in celebrating with new brothers and sisters and in God himself the joy we have found. Your heart needs that this, all this this year. It needs the life-giving person of Jesus. It needs the certainty of his coming. It needs the joyful fellowship he offers. And friends, I just want to summon you this year to have your eyes and hearts set on that. On starting that. On starting the dinner parties that start the, the joyful fellowship that announces the birth of Jesus. To stop 
numbing yourself from what's happened this year and to start coming to Jesus with it and being restored by his life, not just by your good mindset and ideas. Maybe it's about the, the person you need to invite to the service of lament or to carols in the graveyard to celebrate with them the goodness of Jesus coming. Because John thinks that joy is made complete when it moves outward. Did you notice? By including other people in the joy he's experienced, his joy becomes complete. And what a joy it is. You know, friends, the, the life appeared. The life appeared. And we killed him. Because we're all made of darkness. And yet he died, he allowed himself to be killed, that we might have his life. That we might have fellowship with God, his Father, and with him, and with each other, through an eternal life. Friends, that's the truth you need at the end of this year. Don't settle for anything else. Let's pray. Father, we just want to pray this evening that by your spirit you would fill up our heart with this mystery of the life appearing, of the thing we really need, of the person we really need coming to find us. And Father, we have in our own hearts that longing for joy, that longing for home. And we know that they're only found in Jesus, they're only found in him. And we pray, fill up our hearts with this joy that we might move outward with it and hand it to others. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.